Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody, welcome back to all new, all different Uncanny X's for Podcasts, where we examine the Uncanny X-Men comic book franchise as it begins its multi-title 80s expansion. I'm your host Jonah. I'm Dylan. I'm Nico. And what we are is, wait, no, I used that last time. Well, I, I'm in a tank. I'm, you can find me on Nico Action. <laughs> no, we're not at that part. We're not at that part yet? <laughs> Alright, so maybe I'm not so good at what it is I do. <laughs> Welcome to 80s Mutant Mania here on X's for Podcast, where currently we are in the middle of a multi-part discussion of Chris Claremont and Frank Miller's landmark Wolverine miniseries from 1982. This story changed everything. Not only was it the first time that an X-Man had a solo story, but it was a massive change in the status quo of one of Marvel's most well-known characters. And as a matter of fact, to that end, even one of the creators couldn't believe what came out of it. One time, Tom DeFalco asked Chris Claremont, what is the secret origin behind the Wolverine limited series that you did with Frank Miller? And Claremont said, Frank Miller thought Wolverine was an incredibly dull character and didn't want to have anything to do with him. He had absolutely no interest in drawing a story about a berserk psycho killer. The two of us got stuck in traffic on the way to Los Angeles after a San Diego Comic-Con. Border Patrol was doing searches, and the traffic was backed up almost 30 miles. We were there for around two hours, just creeping along. Since we had nothing else to do, we started talking about Wolverine, about who he is, and why he is. The conversation ranged over samurai pictures and manga and all the things that we were enjoying at the time. During the course of the discussion, we basically started building the story. This is one of those rare occasions where a story evolved out of the character rather than the plot. I love that narrative for Frank Miller coming to realize he wanted to be a part of this story because Dylan, it sounds to me like from everything you've shared with me throughout the course of our first episode, this miniseries might begin your slow Logan conversion process. It really kind of has. I'm getting to see a softer side of Logan. I mean, everybody loves him for the fact that he is a killing machine. I think that might be one of the reasons that I don't necessarily like him. I understand the need for it from time to time and for certain teams that he has been on. But yeah, this limited series is I'm getting to see more of the heart of Logan and not the claws of Wolverine. Jonah, when I conned you into this multi-night per week reading and recording obligation, I promised you that Logan would be the character you wanted him to be, ultimately all said and done. And here we have an example of fine-ass storytelling wrapped up in gorgeous art. Was he worth the wait? Absolutely, yes. So, something I've been thinking about through reading this is, out of all the current members of the X-Men, who would benefit the most from a solo story, and who would make the most interesting solo story? And 
I think the only character fitting enough for this would be Logan. Storm, but Storm is so busy being the leader of the X-Men that she doesn't have the time for this. Logan is the character that I know will pick up in the most popularity. And I know that Logan is the character that will almost come to define the X-Men at multiple points throughout his comic career. This story did so many wonderful things for his character to make everyone realize Logan isn't a one-dimensional character. He has many more sides that even his teammates haven't seen. And I love that you brought up the many sides of Logan. I think the only way to look at Logan is like he's a diamond. And every face that we see is a different facet of that diamond. And we need to consider that for him the same way we would need to consider it for Mystique. He has an extra hundred years on everyone else. So he's lived a few more lives. He's also kind of literally lived a few more lives. And that's important to keep in mind too. But it's those inner workings. It's those paper dolls inside Logan that many people use throughout this miniseries to manipulate him and control him. This opening sequence is, as a Daredevil fanboy, one of the most gorgeous things in the world. Number one, Frank Miller's work on Daredevil around this time was so stunning. He had been telling his Electra Daredevil the hand story, and this is such a necessary component to really understanding what the hand are, and it was really an amazing example of two creators bringing their A-game together. So I've always loved that this is a really beautiful compliment to one of my favorite runs of all time over on Daredevil, but this hand battle is fascinating because theoretically, if we're reading this as man or animal, it sort of seems like Yukio is having fun here. If Yukio ultimately works for Shinigan and the hand works for Shinigan, then all of this is just Yukio pushing her pup toward violence for her own amusement. This is kind of like a dog fighting ring. The hand will never run out of soldiers and Logan will never run out of healing. In that regard, she's playing with her food and it's really coded man of her. You mentioned the art on the end of the battle, I think sixth page of the issue, after Wolverine defeats all of them and is there in the dark, which is the glowing eyes. Like I mentioned on the first issue, there's a ton of early Wolverine art that is so recognizable and so amazing, even if you don't like the character. And that image right there on that page is just glorious. The art in this book is unparalleled. I mean, even to this day, I feel like Gorgeous is a really great way to describe the material here. This battle is kind of unlike anything else I think we've seen in X-Men up through now. The coloration is unforgettable. That dual splash page of the hand fight that even made representation on the cover of the third Uncanny X-Men omnibus volume. The credits page with Logan and Yukio flying into hundreds of arrows. Everything about it, down to when Logan has his cloths unsheathed in front of his face, the jump pose, his eyes in the shadows. This battle indicates a certain level of loss of humanity by what's shown and what isn't shown in the 
the art. This is a very different Logan than Uncanny's Logan, which focuses on his humanity. Jonah, what do you think of the animal Logan that Yukio has awakened at Shinigan's behest? I actually find it very fascinating because I love what you said last episode that Yukio is a character wearing a mask, even if she doesn't realize it. But what I also think, I want to say Yukio's wearing two masks. She's wearing the mask of she's under Shinigan's control and she does follow his orders because she does have to. She is employed and she is under his beck and call, but she's kind of doing things in this specific case in the way she wants to. I don't know how much riled up Shinigan really wants Wolverine to be. I understand what he is trying to do, which is to make Mariko fear him and view him as not human. And it's I love that you said that fighting for his humanity in a way. I believe Yukio has her ulterior motives where she wants Logan and through unlocking that animalistic personality, I think she's willing to go against everything to get this man that she's so in love with. And let me rephrase that. This animal she's so in love with. Because I don't think she's in love with the soft, emotional Logan that Mariko knows. I think she's really only in love with that really, you know, berserker Wolverine. Then do you think that she sees Logan as a Shinigan she can tame? I didn't think of it that way, but you know what? Absolutely yes. It's such a fascinating thing to put a samurai sword in Logan's hands when he has six samurai swords coming out of them. I think one of the most fascinating things about this story is when he is not under someone else's control, Logan relies on a weapon in these issues. But while an animal, he devolves to using his claws the way an animal would use theirs. There's something very telling about the two pages of Logan and Mariko laying back and those beautiful colors. All of them are so stunning. Something I love is that Logan makes it very clear that while he appreciates what Yukio is providing into his life, he's not in love with her. And this is not what it's about for him. He makes it very clear through his honor that that is not what this is for him. Because even if Logan is behaving dishonorably by virtue of living as a louse, he's not willing to compromise his moral center that keeps him a man. I absolutely agree. And the one pushing this is Yukio. Dylan, as we continue through these issues, we see Yukio's obsession of Logan really come through and what she's willing to do to get him. How do you feel that this obsession was shown and it's slowly being brought into the light of who Yukio really is? I think it's a really interesting take. Like Nico said, she's being coded very male. And in this sense, I kind of feel like she sees Logan as not only a beast that she could use as a weapon, I feel like she sees him as a beast that she could use for her own personal, maybe bedroom reasons as well. So she's being very controlling in her own way to get her own happiness out of it. And it's just really interesting that she was introduced in the first issue and is becoming a very important part of Logan's tales with Mariko. And it's so interesting that Mariko and Yukio don't share any scenes together until the final issue. It makes how this play is staged all the more interesting. And of course, we couldn't discuss the second issue of Wolverine without discussing that stunning play sequence. I love the art, the storytelling, the coloration, everything about the number of ways in which it is a staging. Logan believes he is onto something, but Yukio knows greater. Yukio is aware of the script that Logan believes he is living. She knows it's a show. I guess in that way, Wolverine 2 is kind of like Super Mario Bros. 3. <laughs> 
she does know the dialogue that is supposed to happen. She knows what's supposed to be written. But I also believe Yukio realizes she could start improv and saying her own lines. That is Yukio's M.O. to a T. She's in a sketch comedy group for improv. <laughs> yeah, I just realized M.O. to a T sounds like moat. <laughs> So that's Yukio's moat. Good for Yukio. Dylan, I almost feel like this Yukio is more savage than the Yukio we see after this. I feel like once Miller's influence leaves her narrative, we see her soften kind of immediately. I would completely agree. Like I mentioned in the first issue, I haven't read these issues of Wolverine. And to find out that this is how Yukio was introduced to the Marvel Universe, it kind of makes more sense because I feel like the Yukio that I do know is a very soft character, but she seems to have this reputation of being a lot more than what she was in the issues that I've read. So this actually makes a lot more sense to the Yukio that I've read because she didn't seem like this big bad mercenary in what I have read, but in these issues it shows who she is and the reputation that I had no idea how she had. I kind of think it comes down to the sinister look on her face in the final page of issue two. That sheer self-satisfaction at the gotcha moment she's had on Logan. It's as if she really does see him as a plaything. And it is certainly difficult to believe Logan would be capable of suspending concern over who this woman is when she mixes things up in the pages of X-Men in, I don't want to say allowing her to get close to his teammates, but I feel like the Logan I know is a little bit more wary of strangers. He knows what year it is. He doesn't open the door for strangers. And I feel like this Logan, it takes such a specific set of circumstances. Jean died recently. He was humbled in front of Mariko by her father. He was broken lying on the street. This woman brought him in. She eggs on his violence. Yukio is a poison that Shinigan has introduced into Logan's bloodstream. This is how he is keeping Logan an animal. This is the poison that was injected into the bear. Yukio is a poison-tipped arrow bringing Logan down. And I think it's this moment at Mariko's horror, which is the second time Mariko is showing broken horror. The first time was when Logan was defeated. Is this man worth it? Is this the man worth your dishonor? And Logan was poisoned. Once again, we are being reminded that Logan is poisoned in the form of Yukio. And Mariko's horror tells us that the man is slipping into the animal. I really love Frank Miller's art, okay? <laughs> I think I've mentioned it a few times before, but I think most comic book readers, especially X-Men fans, know that a lot of times a really good story is not pulled off if there's not really good art attached to it. And Chris and Frank on this, I don't think it would be as overwhelmingly good if one or the other was not there to bring it all together. I can't imagine what it was like to be an X-Men fan in 19. 19- trying to figure out how the fuck this thing fit into continuity. Especially once I would have started the third issue, I would have been mind blown trying to understand how this Logan could still be my Logan. The opening of the third issue is Logan is completely surrendered to the animal that Yukio has unleashed inside of him. 
And I think that's even echoed in the title of the issue being Lost. The darkness that ensconces Logan as he has a blue sliver of light on the page. This heaviness that pervades his life. Logan has given up or lost so much that he loves giving in to the drunkenness. And Logan is very much somebody who works to maintain control. It's often joked that Logan can't actually get drunk because of his healing factor. So if Logan is experiencing intoxication, if Logan is truly experiencing a complete lack of control, it is simply because he he does not want to be a man at this point. And I feel like we see that metal tested throughout this opening scene, which I really think mirrors anyone who's ever had a drunk night coming home from a city trying to get to their public transport, stumbling around with somebody that gets them up to trouble, <laughs> knows exactly what this story is. This is such a human experience for Wolverine. And as a kid, I grew up knowing this Logan, so I knew no other Logan. Dylan, it's so special to hear you say that in an experience with with Jonah and I, you've come to warm up to the Knucklehead through his humanity. I think this exploration of Logan's humanity in one of his most animalistic moments is the best expression of who Logan is as one of my favorite characters. Reading these issues, yeah, like I said, it's helping me see the softer side of him, especially this issue. I'm sure, actually, if you were to have an issue like this come out nowadays, people would be really consider it as just like a really boring filler issue but this issue was needed to be in the middle of this story to show more of logan's humanity and how at this point in this story with mariko that yes he's been tricked and poisoned and everything else under the sun from yukio but he's kind of i feel like this issue is he's given up because he's tried everything so far and has gotten nowhere so he may not have completely given up but he's taking a break for a moment and it's getting him in even more of a spot that he doesn't want to be in, that he doesn't know that he's being placed in by Yukio. And that's even manifested in the way Logan's claws are part of his hand, but Yukio's darts that very much represent Logan's claws in so many ways, she leaves a trail of them, and he doesn't realize it, but he's kind of sniffing out the clues. One of the many hats that Logan wears is that of detective. Some of my favorite Logan stories are Logan and Madripoor solving crimes, and and it's a lot of fun to read. I feel like this kind of borders on that pulp that I love from my Logan. And I think that gorgeous samurai dream sequence, that two pages in the middle of the third issue where he sees the female figure pull the bow back. And whether you want to interpret that as Yukio or Mariko and take it on a literal level or she represents women in this morality play, however you want to look at it, Logan fears arrows flying at him. And you Yukio leaves her blades everywhere to poison people. It's this turning point, this realization that the man can still dream. Sure, animals dream, but Logan has a specific dream of worthiness. He is working to achieve honor, and his dream isn't of gaining that honor. It's a nightmare that he's already succumbed to these dishonorable impulses that have so destroyed his play world. Jonah, your introduction to Yukio and her quick betrayal all came within, I guess, an hour of itself. These issues are meant to represent months of Logan's life. Yukio's betrayal begins a very sticky wicket, a sort of slippery slope 
a kind of, oh, fuck, that's not a very good thing to do to women misogynistic downturn for Logan and women. Unfortunately, nearly every one of Logan's exes will either be evil or a supervillain or turned evil by bitterness because of him. And this is just the first of many betrayals he will experience on a supervillainy level. Knowing, though, that this is kind of like the best example of that, where the character is the least feminized and the most coded male. I mean, I would totally accept Yukio as a guy and he's just having a gay old time. How do you feel knowing that Yukio is going to come up not just in the pages of X-Men for the next 40 years, but she's going to appear literally next episode? This specific instance of Yukio, I don't mind it. And I'll tell you why. It's that Yukio views Logan as the ultimate prize of what she wants to be. She wants to use Logan's power set to become the most amazing assassin. Is what it makes it, she makes it seem like. And the only way that she can semi-fulfill that dream is to push Logan into his animalistic state to become the best assassin with her. But when Logan wakes up and says Mariko's name, the realization that she will never have him the way that she wants hits her in reality. And I think that causes her to spiral and leads to her betrayal. I will say I am fairly fascinated for what's going to happen and how Logan's ex-buddies are going to handle a wedding that I'm assuming will be crashed by Yukio. Maybe she'll join in. Maybe she's the officiator. She's the priest. Yeah, because Yukio's a... Yeah, Yukio's a priest. (laughs) Yep. I... Hey everyone, Warpath Dylan here with another episode of House of Characters, where we will be having one-on-one conversations with you, the fans, to talk about your favorite characters. In this episode, we are going to be talking to Michael. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for having me, Dylan. I am so excited to be here. Woohoo! <laughs> Michael, I don't want to waste any more time getting to the love of your life. Who are we going to be talking about today? We are talking about Allison Blair, the Dazzler. Not Dazzler, the Dazzler. The one and only Dazzler. There we have it, folks. Michael, I've known you through the internet for a few years, and I know that you live and breathe Dazzler. You even had a Dazzler-themed birthday cake this past year, if I'm not mistaken. I did. My whole birthday, and I'm not going to say how old I turned because I'm just not going to do it. Yeah, it was a whole (laughs) Dazzler theme, so there's a Dazzler cake and cupcakes and I brought all kinds of memorabilia and we had posters and it was a lot of fun. And if you think that's crazy, my license plate is even an ode to Dazzler. So there we have it. Outrageous. <laughs> yeah. I was going to bring up your license plate because I know everything in your life is Allison Blair. It's amazing. I know I could probably record an entire like three hour monologue with why you love Dazzler, but I'm going to ask you at the like very, very core of everything, why do you love and why are you drawn to Alison Blair? Reader's Digest version. Here we go. I'm going to say first and foremost, I've always loved her resilience. I mean, she is this character who, not only is she an underdog, right? I mean, you know, not only in the publishing world of Marvel is she this cameo queen underdog, but she is so resilient and so strong. I mean, she has gone through so many things and I know a lot of characters do, but she's gone through so much adversity. She has just really lived through and she just wants to be this independent woman who doesn't have to rely on anyone else. You know, she didn't want to fight crime. She didn't want to use her powers to save
save people or to harm people. She just wanted to be a performer, right? Sing, make people happy, be happy. Simple. So what did that mean? It means not living in the X-Mansion, being protected. It means being out in the world, having to get jobs, paying bills, and, you know, struggling to make ends meet, like most people in this country. And I really appreciated that about her character. She's incredibly fun. Speaking of Longshot, um, Longshot is also in my top 10 as well, because I'm weird and I love couples a lot. So Longshot is in my top 10, along with Dazzler. And those two together, of course, means that we have to briefly mention Shatterstar, Dazzler's son that she doesn't know she has. Oh my as god, a, I can't, yeah. <laughs> as a huge Dazzler fan, what are your thoughts on the whole Shatterstar situation of being Dazzler's son? We don't have to talk about the whole Shatterstar, Longshot, weird, whatever. Oh, yeah. But what are your thoughts on the fact that this character that you love out of nowhere has an adult son? So, you know, I think it's really cool. So I'm a fairly positive guy, you know, like Dazzler herself, right? Like I try to keep things in the up and up and I try to keep things positive and look at the good side of things. So we knew years and years ago, I think it was in X-Men, either issue 10 or 11, when there was this little joke, you know, okay, the professor realized Allison was pregnant with Longshot's baby. There was this little joke about Shatterstar? You've got to be kidding me. And, you you know, Shatterstar was a character in the comics, and then we never heard of the storyline ever again. You know, so we finally got to X Factor and the whole had a baby, you know, mind wipe, all that situation. I think it's really great fertile ground for Dazzler and for Shatterstar, just character development wise and relationship wise. She has this son out there. You know, he's been very lost, kind of like Longshot, like, you know, not very familiar with this world, been doing the best that he can. He's had some love himself, kind of, with both sexes, right? And yeah. I think it'd be great for him. <laughs> to have a really cool mentor and a solid relationship that he knows it's someone that he has a biological bond to, which would be his mother. I just think it's such fertile ground, and especially since, you know, we all know Dazzler is this gay icon. Like, we can't pretend that she's not, because obviously you know, she is. You know, she's kind of like Madonna or Kylie Minogue, right? Like, we know these things. And I think it would make for such robust storytelling for both of them. You know, my question that we all joke about online is, why hasn't Dazzler's OBGYN asked or some questions, right? Like, there would be some things <laughs> that would, you know, I don't know a lot about female biology, but I do know there'd be signs that, you know, that these things have happened. That, that a baby came yes, out. Yes, <laughs> I mean, come on. And maybe should have some stretch marks. I don't, probably not, because Dazzler's pretty cool, and she could, like, fix that with her laser powers, to be totally fair. Like, oh, I gained a I couple mean... pounds, I'm gonna laser these off. But I just think it would make for some good fertile ground for stories, and you know, for relationships for them, and for her to be like, wow, there's this person out there that I'm connected to this way because her father's dead. Her grandmother, Bella, I'm going to assume that she died because we never saw her after one issue of the solo series. Her sister, Lois, is, well, quite the disaster, as we In know. In a coma or something? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. She's MIA, but she's always bad news, right? Drama and bad news. Yes. And I think, who else does she have alive? Like, I, I think that's pretty much... Oh, and her mom, sorry. Her, her mother, Barbara, yeah. she is alive, yes. Her mom who didn't want her. So, I yeah. know. That's another tragic story <laughs> to her past. But I just yeah. feel like she needs this connection in the world, too, because even though Dazzler seems to have it all figured out these days, for the most part, like, okay, I know how to balance being a superhero and singing, even though the whole horrible mystique situation that we may or may not get into today, and other things, you know, like, she pretty much knows how to balance it, but I think having a son that she didn't know about all these years would really be a great character development moment for her. We could get a series out of this, easily. Like, talk about round two or three of Extreme X-Men with her son. 
I mean, amazing. <laughs> I completely agree. In so many ways, Dazzler and Shatterstar are very, very similar, which is kind of mm-hmm. neat since they are mother and son. You could at least get a six-part miniseries out of that. For now, Michael, we are going to have you come back for another feature. But until we have you come back... Where can everybody find you and your Dazzler love on the internet? <gasps> oh, thank you for asking, Dylan. So, there's a few places. On Facebook, we have a very exciting, fun page called the Age of Dazzler Facebook group. So, anyone, feel free to join up with that. A lot of the members have quoted us as being the most positive place on the internet. So, I will leave it at that. And if you wanted to follow me, I'm on social media for Dazzler stuff and just life things. You know, food and dogs and nature. You can find me at MW. Anders 4. So M-W-A-N-D-E-R-S the number 4 and that would be on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you Michael. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, it seems like there is just never enough room to snicked as far as we need to snicked. And until the next time we unsheathe those adamantiums, Dylan, where can everybody find you online? Everybody can find me at my Facebook group for all things X-Men. That is called House of X. Or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Jonah, where can everybody find you officiating? Trying to dodge a speed bullet train. Being on the tracks and not realizing it. The track's a life. Or you can find me saying more cheesy quotes that don't really make sense about anything on Twitter and Instagram at Jonah Rubino and at Jonah.Rubino. Nico, where can everybody find you? Hopefully not letting me do this anymore. <laughs> you know, I just realized for the first time that Wolverine and Captain Britain were co-created by the same artist, Herb Trimp. That's kind of a nice moment for me. Herb. You guys can find me having weird realizations like that all over Instagram at Nico Action. You guys can check out my super inclusive superhero comic, Kid Riot, over at KidRiotComics.com, or you guys can find me all over this amazing network on shows like HTML or doing the theme music for Too Fast, Too Forever. Don't forget to look me up on Instagram, where I never have a shirt on, over at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And ladies and gentlemen, until we return to pop those claws one last time, we will see ya. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>